Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today is Max Chafkin. Max is the author of a new book that just came out that I really enjoyed called The Contrarian, Peter Thiel, and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. Max, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, so let me just start with the macro, and I assume this is you know something you thought about when you sold the book and everything else, which is, okay, I work in venture. I fully appreciate the relevance and significance of Peter Thiel. But, you know, you're just, you're not in tech, right? And you're trying to explain to someone, here's why this guy matters. Here's why you should care. What's the answer? Uh, yeah. So let me, I'll start with the, the tech side of things and then, and then broaden it. I mean, you know, over the last, um, you know, 15, 20 years, as, as, as you're kind of alluding to, Teal has played this really, really important, um, you know, mostly behind the scenes role uh, um, in, in the rise of so many of, of the tech companies that, you know, kind of now run our lives and, and that we really depend on. So he was the first um, outside investor in Facebook, you know, uh, a crucial early mentor to Mark Zuckerberg, co-founder of PayPal, um, founder of Palantir. And, you know, even more than that, I mean, there's this kind of network uh, within Silicon Valley that's known as the PayPal Mafia, which is this like really important sort of um, you know, basically system of moving um, investment dollars and and talent around within the valley, and 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 you know they're connected to a, a an even broader range of companies. So um, Elon Musk is is a is sort of a member of the PayPal mafia. Reid Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn, um, Yelp, YouTube, I, it goes on and on. And and all that would be really interesting and probably worthy of a book um, if Teal hadn't also you know. Made had this you know really interesting political adventure. So in 2016, and that's what really got that's what brought me into this. Um, uh, you know, as a journalist who wanted to do the book in 2016, Teal, who at the time was seen, like you said, kind of as a Im important figure, but not necessarily widely known, um, he shows up on the list of delegates uh, for Donald Trump in, in May of 2016 at a time when very few kind of respectable you know business people were were on the Trump train, and at the almost the exact same time is outed. And and then, um, you know, starts talking publicly about his campaign to destroy Gawker Media, which, you know, at the time had a huge impact, you know, it was a hugely influential media company. It was worth hundreds of millions of dollars in Teal um, after nursing a grudge for for uh, almost a decade, uh, funded this litigation that, that destroyed it. So those two things, this sudden, you know, um, emergence of him playing this, I, I don't know, if you like kind of super villain role as, a, as the slayer of Gawker Media or superhero, depending on your point of view, right? And slayer of Gawker Media... Um, um, supporting Trump and being this interesting tech guy, you know, that is what drew me into the story. And it, it really felt like, number one, there are some interesting conflicts that, that are worth exploring. How does a Silicon Valley guy um, come to support basically a reactionary, uh, you know, populist? And also just this trajectory of Peter Thiel going from, you know, tech guy to political engagement felt like it kind of um, was a way of getting into a larger story about um, the political engagement of the tech industry as a whole. Yeah, that makes total sense. So you, you kind of went through them quickly, but just again, to give to give the listeners who aren't familiar with Peter some context, he's had a lot of accomplishments. So let's, how would you rank like the top five things that he's done that, that you find impressive? Yeah, so there are all sorts of different ways of ranking them, but I mean, I think um, basically the this early investment in Facebook, kind of one of the legendary um, venture investments, you know, uh, $500,000 gets him 10% of the company. Um, and I think also crucially, 
um, sets up Mark Zuckerberg in this kind of uh, dictatorial role. You know, the, the situation where Zuckerberg controls a company and would control a company for you know perpetuity. That that sets up Teal really well, but also kind of sets Silicon Valley on a trajectory. So that's number one. I mean, he's a co-founder of PayPal. Um, PayPal, of course. You know, helped pioneer online payments, which you know we all uh, kind of know and love, and 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 he made a lot of money that way. But I think also and importantly, the success of PayPal and and the playbook that Teal created at PayPal, Teal and Elon Musk and Max Levchin and a bunch of these other PayPal mafia guys, it became hugely influential. Kind of set the tone for the next. Um, 20 years. And I think that's also a really important thing that he did and that he kind of contributed. And um, I guess a third thing, and it, it kind of builds on that PayPal thing I just mentioned, but um, after PayPal, Teal does a bunch of interesting things. He starts a hedge fund for its for a time, you know, one of the most uh, successful hedge funds in the world until it kind of fell apart during the financial crisis. But he also starts his venture capital firm, Founders Fund. And he in marketing that for firm tells a story about founders and kind of the primacy of founders, that the people who start companies are a privileged class um, and that we kind of have to like listen to whatever they want. And that's and that kind of is reflected in the Zuckerberg stru structure. But I think it's also reflected in the way a lot of companies over the, you know, over that next you know, decade, decade and a half were, were, were set up. And that includes companies that Teal had had nothing to do with, but where these like kind of strong founder CEOs were given more or less free reign. So, yeah, I mean, I, th I think so basically there's, right, there's there's Founders Fund, there's Facebook, there's PayPal, there's Palantir. And then there are two things about him that, that I have always found really interesting that I want to kind of dive into, which is one is, is his book, Zero to One, I would say that it's one of the better books out there written about venture capital. Um, is it totally logical that a guy like him would put together a book that good? Or is it kind of out of nowhere that turns out on top of everything else he can write to? I mean, he is, first of all, I, I totally agree with you. Zero to One is uh, like an extremely influential book. It's, it, and, and probably, I probably should have included that in my list of, of reasons just because there are so many people who, for, for whom it's, it's like a foundational text. It's like an entrepreneurial Bible for like an entire generation of aspiring tech founders and not just tech founders, but sort of ambitious young people who feel like they don't fit in or something. Um, Teal is, you know, he's an intellectual and, and he's somebody who, for better or worse, he's somebody who really like dwells in abstracts. He's really interested in, in, uh, writing. Um, and so I don't think it's at all surprising that he, that he comes up with that book. And I think what's kind of amazing about the book is it, it, it is on one hand, it's kind of a success manual. It's kind of a very conventional uh, business book that tells you, uh, you know, like the title says, how to go from like a startup that has nothing to, to you know, to a big company. That's the zero to one thing. Um, it's also kind of, in, in a lot of ways, a, a pretty radical book. And I think that's a part of the appeal. I mean, the book, among other things, argues that, you know, the point of business is monopoly, which of course is not like, that's not a conventionally, you know, that's not like conventional uh, capitalistic thought. And, and, and there are lots of other um, sort of similarly provocative um, uh, arguments in the book. I mean, it's, it's, he talks about how cults are a better organization, organizational model than uh, management consultancies. Um, and, 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 you know, how there, there are parallels between, you know, uh, uh, Greek gods and, and Steve Jobs. There are all of these like really provocative kind of far out there things that I think particularly um, among young people, but, but even not just young people, you know, anybody reading it are come off as, you know, very refreshing and, 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 um, and, and with some truth to them. And I, I 
do think that part of Teal's appeal, part of the, the appeal of that book is he's sort of saying things that maybe everyone believes, but they're too afraid to say. So like that, that, that observation about monopoly, again, it's, it's, it's pretty radical to say that. On the other hand, I do think that's something that a lot of um, Silicon Valley people have more or less bought into. And we see it in the kind of, you know, imperialist tendencies of, of some of these companies that, that basically will spend, you know, unlimited amounts of money um, uh, to, to grow as quickly as they can to try to dominate whatever network they're in. So, I mean, for, for people who tend to be this kind of speak truth to power, kind of, you know, uh, say, say what's on their mind type thing, generally, they're not that, in my experience, that successful, and they're happy to spend five hours telling you why it's everyone else's fault. Um, here is someone who seems to say whatever he wants, um, and yet manage to not fall into all of the reasons why that ultimately gets people into trouble. Why and how? Did he just overcome all of it with talent, or did he get lucky in certain ways? How do you account for it? So, I mean, some of it must have to do, like you said, with just kind of his his brilliance. I mean, he's like a he's a very smart guy. He's also very, you know, good at kind of spotting trends and and that sort of thing. Um, that said, I do think there's power. Uh, you're right that, like, of course, these kind of activists, these political activists can kind of, you know, kind of go sideways or kind of not, not really amount to anything or whatever. But um, people forget that the PayPal mafia, it, it was originally basically a conservative activist network. I mean, PayPal grew out of the Stanford Review, which was this, um, you know, right-wing student newspaper that, that, that Peter started, you know, at Stanford. It was kind of of a piece with a bunch of other papers. And, you know, he, he, he made some waves at Stanford. And a lot of these guys, um, uh, David Sachs, uh, Keith Raboy, a, a lot of these guys who are kind of household names in Silicon Valley worked at that newspaper. And they were all kind of together. And, and they had this sort of us against the world um, kind of attitude. And of course that can be, you know, th that can be counterproductive sometimes, but I think in the case of PayPal, it really was productive. They, they were able to sort of channel that kind of activist energy into a business. And in those, in the early years, people think of PayPal, you know, it's, it's, it's really obvious, right. In retrospect, oh yeah, you should probably have a way to, to send money on the internet. But, you know, at the time they were, they, they had like much bigger ideas for, for what PayPal was going to be. And, and you can go back and, and find, um, Peter Thiel kind of bragging to the press about how PayPal is going to undermine the nation state. PayPal is going to be a way to give everyone a, a Swiss bank account in their pocket. If you're a, a person living in a repressive country, you can just put your money in PayPal. Government won't be able to touch it. And like that drew attention to PayPal. And it's also, you know, not that different from the way crypto uh, heads are talking about crypto right now. I mean, that ideology, they, they sort of use that ideology to help market um, this rather mundane company. And I think it, it basically worked. So let's go to sort of maybe my favorite Peter Thiel thing, or maybe because I'm sort of a reformed political operative. It's the thing that I find most interesting, which is the whole Gawker Hulk Hogan lawsuit. Um, can, can you, because it's almost such an incredible story, and you do a great job telling the book. Can you just explain to the audience what happened here? Yeah, absolutely. So Gawker Media, which was a uh, was a blog publisher, Gawker's actually back now. Uh, okay, it relaunched a couple weeks ago. But uh, but anyway, they they were this kind of uh, take no prisoners, uh, you know, blog operation. And and if and you can go back in in the archive, most of which uh, you know ha is is still online, and see that there was just a huge range of of kind of stuff that you would talk about as kind of real journalism or and and probably you know really valuable journalism and just like the absolute you know absolutely most tawdry um crap you can imagine and 
uh, among the things that they were doing was going really hard in the late uh, 2000s, uh, the, the late aughts, against Teal and kind of his allies. They were sort of trying to take the piss out of Silicon Valley. And and that included this post in 2008 in which they uh, a writer for Valleywag, which was the Gawker, you know, tech publication, wrote um, that, you know, Peter Thiel is totally gay people. That was the headline. And it, it was a sort of very sophisticated essay about the closet that just so happened to also out um, Peter Thiel, who was not yet, you know, out to, to the public. Um, and, and that... Um, sets off this many years long revenge campaign where Teal, um, you know, working with uh, operatives, investigators, uh, and eventually um, uh, the lawyer Charles Harder, um, basically was looking for ways to 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 get back at Gawker and found it in this lawsuit that Hulk Hogan, Terry Bollea brought against Gawker, a totally unrelated case, but Gawker had published a sex tape um, featuring uh, uh, Hulk Hogan and, and Hulk Hogan sued and Teal paid his legal fees. And that, and that case resulted in an enormous uh, judgment against Gawker, hundred million more than a hundred million dollars, and put the company out of business. Put Nick Denton, the the publisher of, of um, Gawker, into personal bankruptcy. So it was a you know complete victory for Teal. He he squashed it into it squashed this publication into dirt, and it had that had you know that has implications. You know, I think for free speech and there the, are the reasons that I think it's it's controversial. The reasons it should be controversial, um, it, but it also, you know, like you said, was just an incredibly amazing instance of kind of strategic, you know, you know, skullduggery or something like that, where where he he found a way to to, to get at this thing and and um, and succeeded. So so that I would argue was pretty brilliant. Zero to one, pretty brilliant. Obviously, can't argue with the success of, of Palantir and PayPal and Facebook. Um, his support of Donald Trump, is that a continuation of the brilliance because he picked the winner, or is that a, a major misstep on his part? I mean, I think if we're going to, uh, you know, just sort of analyze it, uh, you know, in the sort of realm of good or bad bets, I think I think you have to say it's a, it's a good bet. I mean, I think did Teal... Teal, uh, as you say, you know, supported Donald Trump. He he wrote Trump a check, really at the lowest point of of the 2016 campaign, right after the Access Hollywood tape had dropped, and he made this you know 1.25 million donation to a you know um, super PAC backing Trump, and that you know. Uh, along with WikiLeaks, you know, helps, uh, and with WikiLeaks playing a bigger role, of course, helps kind of change the narrative around Trump um, and gets Teal, uh, puts Teal on the inside. And and Teal, um, you know, had a had a role in the in the Trump transi- transition and um, and managed to, you know, get a few people appointed. Uh, there's a lot that you, you can sort of debate on, 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 you know, how that went for him. And I, I think obviously the the Trump administration did not end well for, for, you know, very few of the people who were involved. Um, but I think what's, what's in, yeah, I mean, but what's interesting, I, I think Teal kind of manages to, to sort of come out of it. Okay. You know, he, he uh, sort of got out of the, got out of Trump world early before the coronavirus hit before you know before the, the the administration really started to crumble and he sort of absented himself so as a result was able to kind of not get blamed for 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 the bad stuff and now you see there's this of course there's this there's still a sort of trumpist movement uh, you know 30% of the country or something like that is you know really committed to to this populist nationalist you know vision that Trump was putting forward with or without Trump and Teal 
is front and center. I mean, he's he's backing, um, you know, Senate candidates who are, you know, these kind of hardcore Trumpists. And, you know, I don't, J.D. Vance, I, you know, I don't know, you probably know, have a better instincts on this than I do. But like, it's unclear if J.D. Vance is going to win. It's unclear or win the nomination uh, to be to be a Senate candidate uh, in Ohio or whether Blake Masters, who's Teal's other um, you know, major bet is gonna is gonna win his primary, but both of those guys are like extensions of Peter Thiel. I mean, they they have they have very similar ideologies. Uh, Masters still works for Thiel. Vance worked for Thiel for for a time. I mean, I think in terms of his influence, he's he's still as influential as he's ever been. If if maybe not more so. Yeah, and could you imagine like right now, if a private individual basically said, "I own two U.S. senators in a fifty fifty Senate." You'd basically be deciding what goes in the reconciliation bill, what goes in the infrastructure bill. Like, in some ways, in the way that Joe Manchin has made himself the most powerful person in Congress, you'd be even more powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And those, and of course, those guys have said and will continue to say, you know, we don't, uh, you know, Teal doesn't own us or anything like that. But, but I think the 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 ideological alignment is undeniable. And of course, there is, you know, financial, uh, you know, alignment in the sense that Teal is is putting up twenty million dollars this cycle, maybe more. Um, and 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 there's and there are two other senators, of course, who Teal has close contacts with, uh, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. So so it does start to to add up. And I mean, the other thing, you know, Trump obviously is, you know, it's kind of a uh, understatement, but you know, not a lot of discipline there. Uh, J.D. Vance, Blake Masters, these guys that Teal is supporting now, they are very, very disciplined. Uh, you know, ideologues. You know, they 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 are pretty slick. And and again, it may not be enough, but but I think I think he's in a pretty good position. You know, at least politically. So all right, Teal is unquestionably respected. He's unquestionably feared, and I think you make that point well in the book. But he's not beloved, right? Um, do do you think? I assume he would say, I don't want to be loved. I just want to be respected and feared or whatever it is. Do you think that's true? Or do you think at the end of the day, he's like everybody else and what he really wants is to be liked and accepted? I mean, we all want to be liked and accepted, right? So I'm sure there's, I'm sure it goes, I'm sure Teal is no different than, than you or I, but I do think, you know, he's a, he's a fan of professional wrestling, not, you know, the Hulk Hogan thing, uh, you know, of course, probably is the, is the entry point, but you know, there's this concept, you know, that in, in, in wrestling, right. You have these villains, right. Who play, who, who play villains they are called heels. And I think, and that's like, that's what they do. They're into it. It's like part of their whole, you know, thing. And I think in a lot of ways, Teal, that's what he's doing a lot of the time. He's sort of being the heel. He sort of likes playing the the super villain likes being likes having people be a little afraid of him and and I think maybe that fits with his character because he's a he's a more he's like an introverted person he's like sort of the opposite of Elon Musk or something um in that way um but I mean so 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 there is that on the other hand of course he um you know I I'm sure that that he would like to be understood better I'm sure that the the way that he's been turned into a you know, sort of punching bag for the left is not, you know, that I, I'm sure he would rather that, that he doesn't want that to be his legacy either. Right. I mean, and, and you talk about in the book how he, he, he kind of was the victim of bullying kind of throughout his childhood, even even in college. Um, how, I mean, I don't, you know, you're not Freud, obviously, but how much do you feel like that shaped his perspective now as to how he conducts himself and kind of the, the types of things he, he tries to do? Well, I think it, shaped his sort of activities, political activities, like as a young man at the Stanford Review, and, and which, which, as I said, I think had a big influence on his career um, later later down the road. I mean, you know, he he sort of internalized, had this feeling, uh, at least according to people I talked to who knew him back then, 
uh, you know, that that like Stanford was this very liberal place that these to the extent that he was bullying, he, you know, it had a he felt it had a political dimension that he was being bullied because he was conservative, which I think is probably true. But it probably was also being bullied because he was an introvert and a geek. And, you know, for, for the kind of more usual reasons, people get bullied. That said, he is just he's really ambitious. And I'm not sure that you ne you need the sort of psychology to, to understand, his, you know, his provocations and his relationship to the world. When he, you know, started the Stanford Review and was sort of defending stuff that seems almost indefensible, one of his close friends, you know, shouted homophobic slurs at a, at a Stanford faculty, faculty member, Teal defended him. And people, you can read things, people, there's all this temptation because Teal's gay to psychologize that, right? Maybe he, maybe it was self-hatred or something. Um, on the other hand, like at that time, defending someone who said something indefensible about gay people was a great way to kind of build your brand and kind of right-wing politics. And I think a lot of times Teal has been deliberately provocative. It's not necessarily because he's acting out of emotion. He's acting, you know, rationally and, and with a kind of totally different um, set of rational calculations that most people would have, but, but that's kind of why, why it works. And, you know, with Gawker, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. He was he was mad at, at at Gawker Media, but you know he's talked about it since as this great philanthropic act, right? He's 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 sort of rationalized. He's not talking about it like a like it was a something he did out of anger, but rather something he did because it was you know important, um, maybe important to um, set some expectations about media, maybe important. Um, I would argue to you know protect himself and to and to lay and sort of lay down a marker to other people that you know you got to be careful if you um, mess with this guy. So I think he's just I think he's super cerebral and rational. I'm not sure he's acting out of you know um, the you know really strong emotion. Most and, of the time. And, and do you think the Gawker thing had a chilling effect on other people messing with him? A hundred percent. I mean, it it definitely did. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it, not just. With Teal, but with every powerful person, frankly, I mean, it created a, it created kind of a, a a new sort of worst case scenario for like every newsroom lawyer, every media company executive, and and those conversations come up now. You know, every time anybody writes about a billionaire in the United States, and that's really a you know that's a really heavy thing. And and I think you know people who kind of applaud the Gawker media thing because they didn't like what Gawker was saying really should think about that because you know free press is a really important thing in this country and I think definitely that case changed the relationship between the media and you know powerful people do, do you ever so there's obviously a lot of billionaires including your your boss and your day job Mike Bloomberg who obviously was my boss too um, you know Bezos at the Washington Post Benioff others who have made the decision that, you know what, if I control a media outlet, these aren't people who made their money in media, right? Right. Uh, if I control a media outlet, that will give me the influence protection that I need. Um, Teal obviously went the other way with it and says, if I bankrupt a media outlet, that will give me the influence protection that I need. Could you ever see him buying a, a newspaper or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely explored it at times. And, and there were conversations going on in just after the, the uh, basically like after he was sort of, um, on the outs with Trump. So like when Bannon, when Steve Bannon got, got pushed out of the Trump administration, Teal lost kind of his main connection. He kind of started to withdraw from the administration. And during that period, he was having all these exploratory conversations about getting involved in, in, in media. You know, the, I heard things like about, you know, sort of conservative, some, some kind of, you know, 
Fox News alternative, but or maybe something brainy, or but I think it was all pretty, um, you know, all pretty early. He's also, um, you know, at times he he has been involved in media before. He started as I, I read in the book, he started amusingly enough a, a NASCAR magazine in two thousand like two thousand three or two thousand four. Who among us has started a NASCAR? Magazine. I mean, you know, it was really it's really funny because like it's it you know there was a good business case for a NASCAR magazine. Um, Teal kind of tried to and and the team he put in place kind of tried to give it a political spin. So they had all these like Weekly Standard uh, writers all like writing for the NASCAR magazine, trying to like you know do kind of like. National Review Online, Stanford Review, kind of contrarian takes, uh, but like through a NASCAR perspective. And I think like pretty unsurprisingly that that was not a big sell with um, sports fans. Um, but uh, but in any case, he's 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 fussed around with media before. I mean, he he does make he has made little sort of um, donations, investments to various media outlets, but it's all been very um, small scale. It's, it's hard for me to see him doing the big, you know, Bezos or, or, or Bloomberg thing, but I, I wouldn't count it out at all. I mean, I think, I, I think it's, it's something he's certainly considered. And, you know, if, if the, if the investment were there, he would do it. I think probably part of the problem, uh, for him is, is that it's, it's not necessarily the best investment. I mean, it's obviously maybe as a, as an influence play, but, yeah, it's, but it's investment to protect other investments. But he's a very, you know, he is this, a super rational guy. You know the bottom line is very important for Peter Thiel, so I, I don't know. I think I, I, I think it's I, I would say it's unlikely, but not totally impossible. He and JD Vance did invest in um, Rumble, which is that a YouTube uh, sort of like a, a YouTube alternative that is sort of catering to you know the right and promoting itself as like a free speech platform. So he's doing little things at the edges. I, I think in terms of like a big you know newspaper or even buying like a big conservative media outlet that feels a little bit um, further afield. So. You know, one thing that he's known for is when he interviews people, he asks, you know, what important truth that very few people agree on with you or agree with you on? Uh, so two questions. One, what's just from your reporting and research, what's the best, best answer you saw to that question? And two, how would you answer? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's like a trick question, I think. I mean, it, it's basically a way. I, so so uh, I don't know what his I don't know what his best answer is. I mean, he's. He, you know, in the in the book, there are all sorts of he answers in the book zero to one. He he sort of half answers this in all in all sorts of um, ways. I mean, I think it's basically something like for him, right? The rules that you think apply do not apply, and that's like a, a philosophy that I think has guided a lot of his investments. It's it, it it's kind of the closest thing I I think he has to to sort of a, a business philosophy. Um that monopoly observation is is another one of those. Um so so I don't know. I mean I think it's I almost think it's like a but I I do almost think it's like a trick question. It's like an attempt to to get somebody to say something controversial for no reason. And um as uh as uh, uh Jeff Bezos like famously said, you know, contrarians mostly get it wrong. I mean most of the time you most of those answers are going to be wrong. So I'm going to try to duck that. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. So, so he's got, you know, what feels like almost unlimited money, lots of influence, um, you know, in a, beyond just kind of more tech investing, you know, because he's not that old. How old is he? Like early 50s? Yeah, early 50s. I think he's 53. Yeah. So he's, he's still pretty, pretty young from a professional standpoint. So what does he do for the next 25 years? And, and what do you think he would define as a goal or success kind of going forward? So, um, 
he just had he's has a couple of little kids and so i i think there's some chance that you know he's he's entering some kind of new phase of his life you know where it's a domestic phase or something where where maybe he's not quite as productive as he was before although i i think that's a little bit unlikely just just having spent a lot of time talking to people who are close to him and people who have worked with him um this is somebody who kind of lives to to provoke and who i think will get you know kind of bored if he's not if he's not you know stirring the pot so i think um politics he's definitely very extremely focused on 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 politics on on being the on helping to sort of guide maybe becoming a patron to this um the you know the post trump Trump movement or whatever the the people the as I said like the people who are who are really committed to that that vision of nationalist populism and I think that'll that'll include um in you know contributions to political candidates probably um media stuff you know the 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 kind of the things he's done and he's not going he's not leaving the the business world at all I mean he's continuing to make um technology investments he's he's done a lot of stuff you know lately in in kind of crypto um and and I'm guessing that'll continue as well. I, you know, Teal is somebody who I think uh, there there have been other sort of successful kind of implementations of this, but like he's somebody who really you know he has a political project and he has a business project, and those two things are constantly feeding one another and 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 helping the other. So his you know political contributions are, tend to you know. Uh, be towards people who have favorable views to to the kinds of companies he supports um and his companies tend to kind of promote his ideology um so so it's kind of like i think the Koch brothers you know the Koch, you know especially in the glory days like it's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like that where where the two things are kind of working hand in hand so i'd expect that to continue what would you go into when you went into the project obviously you had some preconceived notions about him um what did most surprise you? Like, what did your research either prove you wrong about that either made you like him more or less or whatever? Well, the thing, what I did not appreciate is the extent to which he is a, a, a figure of such admiration and like that, that, that people fo- really follow him with a passion and, and the extent to which he had, I think, cultivated that, encouraged it and set, set that thing up to happen. So, you know, he taught this, the book zero to one grew out of a class he taught at Stanford. Um, and, you know, as a result, he kind of reached this kind of, you know, very substantial audience of kind of young, ambitious, um, maybe men mostly, but probably some women too, who are kind of introverted, kind of like Teal, right? And, and, and those people are kind of this core audience. They love him, they follow him. And it's not just that they're an audience, but they are participants because, you know, he creates this thing called the Teal Fellowship where young people can, um, you know, they apply, they get a hundred thousand dollar grant and then they'll, they will try to start a company. And like, that's a way to bring people into the, to the Teal network. So I, I think the extent to which people, you know, really, as you said, that he's not lovable or, or so, you know, whatever, something, something along those lines. But of course, there are people who really they hang on his every word. He's he is like this kind of almost like a cult leader of the cult leader of the cult of disruption or something like that. Yeah. Do you think he read the book? Uh, I I think he's read at least parts of the book. I don't know if he's he's read it he's read it all the way through. I, I have not heard from him, but I've heard from intermediaries that he's he's read it or or at least <laughs> had parts inscribed to him. If you were him, how would you feel about the book? So I'm guessing there are parts of the book that he really doesn't like. And, um, uh, you know, uh, I tried to be like totally unflinching and, in, in, in yeah. and I think to be clear, I, I think you were. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I do think, you know, he is somebody who, 
wants, you know, I, I, I'm sure there are parts of it that he also finds gratifying. And, and like the, I, again, I don't know that he is somebody who wants to be, you know, who wants to be popular with people like me. So like the fact that the book has stuff that, that maybe I perceive as negative, I'm not sure that Peter Thiel perceives that as negative. And, you know, one example of that is the, is his tax, uh, you know, his, his Roth IRA. Thiel is, um, has come up with a very, uh, you know, brilliant, you know, way to, to avoid, Paying um, paying taxes on most of his investments, there he's got he's got much of it, billions of dollars, in fact, squirreled away in this Roth IRA, which is a you know type of investment account that was created for um, yeah for for middle class people. It's not supposed to be for billionaires. And I, does and is Teal embarrassed about that? I, I imagine he's proud of it. I imagine he feels like yeah, like I really figured out how to how to get one over on the on the system. Um, you know, it's it's he's so so. I think there's an extent to which. He's not necessarily embarrassed about the things that maybe his critics think he should be embarrassed about. Yeah, which obviously, if if, if you're able to go through life and not and not care uh, what other people say, it gets a tremendous amount of uh, power. So, last question then: what, Give me. A, we already talked about what he might do, but give me one or two predictions of sort of things that 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 will happen in Peter Thiel's future that uh, either we wouldn't expect or are weird or, or anything else. Does he become president? You know, whatever. <laughs> Well, I mean, he he'd have to like change the constitution. I, that not that that's you know. I mean, yeah, I'd not be hope, I hope he doesn't change the constitution to become president. Um, mostly just because I believe in the constitution. Um, I I I don't think he's going to run for political office. I I, I think um, the this sort of um hard right, uh, sometimes called neo reactionary movement, which Teal has been a patron to and 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 is is gathered steam. I think it's going to be sort of a bigger thing that we all talk about. And and Teal's, I don't know if Teal's alignment with it is going to become public or not. I mean, I talk about it in the book, he's kind of basically kept it secret. But we're seeing these people um, you know, in in more and more prominent positions. And I and so I think that is one way um that Teal's influence is going to become more clear. I also think, you know, no one really appreciates the extent to which Peter Thiel is kind of like a defense mogul at this point. I mean, it's, 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 so there's Palantir, of course, but there's also SpaceX, which he has a huge, um, he has a huge investment, you know, in, and SpaceX is, you know, we think of it as a, you know, it's a rocket company. Of course, rocket companies are, are, you know, are weapons companies of a kind. Um, and then there's a, a company called Anderol. I mean, I think like the, like him as this, as kind of a, a, a you know, a, a defense uh, mogul uh, is, is like a, a formulation that I think we'll we'll get sort of more used to talking about, and and probably should, because because Silicon Valley increasingly is is kind of getting into these kind of government contracting things, and and Teal's uh, led the way there. Also, think he'll probably continue, you know, saying crazy stuff, and and I you know would not be surprised. I heard rumors about you know another book or whatever, although nothing's come come to fruition. There've been talk about you know teaching another Stanford class, so I, I wouldn't shock me at all if he if he's you know trying to continue to put himself out there intellectually as well. Yeah, I would, I would, I would imagine he will. Uh, Max, thanks so much for joining us. Great book uh, to the audience called The Contrarian, Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. Highly recommend it. Max, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Bradley. Cool.